We are up to the Tenth Commandment, which reads, as you know, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And a brief exposition of it we find in Lord's Day 44. What doth the Tenth Commandment require of us? Uh, that even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts, uh, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? And know but even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience, yet so that with a sincere resolution they begin to live not only according to some, uh, but to all the commandments of God. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, uh, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we may become more and more conformable uh, to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in life to come. This, beloved, I would say is a very severe but at the same time a very healthful Lord's Day. It is severe because it emphasizes uh, the righteousness and holiness of God and of his law and stresses the fact uh, that before the righteousness and holiness of God, nothing but perfection will be sufficient to justify us. There is before God no good merely in the outward sense of the word. 
There is before God no common grace good, as some emphasize. God wants perfection. Outward perfection, but also inward perfection. God wants perfection of the whole man, soul and body, mind and feeling and emotion and impulses and will and the heart. Nothing less will ever do before God. That is very severe. That is the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in our present Lord's day. No wonder that the Catechism finally asked, what's the use to preach the law of God? Because, after all, we are not perfect. We are not perfect at all. We have but a small beginning of perfection. Every one of us, even the holiest of the Christians, have but a small beginning, a small principle of the new obedience. What's the use then to preach? But the Catechism assures us of the fruit of that preaching. The fruit of that preaching according to this Lord's Day is first uh, that we increase in the knowledge of sin. Secondly, uh, that we increase in the knowledge of forgiveness of Christ. Thirdly, uh, that we pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we may be sanctified and be delivered from sin. And finally, that we hope through the preaching of the law for that perfection uh, which shall be ours when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and we shall enter into everlasting glory. Therefore, beloved, we preach a few, a few moments on the Tenth Commandment, or the preaching of the Tenth Commandment, and find, uh, first of all, uh, that it is a very severe demand. In the second place, uh, that uh, we have but a very small beginning. And in the third place, that, that preaching of the Lord nevertheless bears fruit.
unto salvation. A severe demand, a small beginning, and a blessed fruit. The law in the Tenth Commandment is, as you will notice, a very spiritual. The other commandments you can probably obey outwardly. Thou shalt not commit idolatry, thou shalt not swear, thou shalt not desecrate the Sabbath, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, but this commandment is different. No one can see whether or not we covet. No one can hear it. No one can notice it. It belongs to our inward life. Covetousness does. And, beloved, Covetousness can be distinguished. I would say, in the narrowest sense, in the widest sense, and in the widest sense of the word. In the narrowest sense, covetousness is that sin whereby in our inmost hearts and inmost mind and will we desire something that is not proper. We uh, covet something uh, which we cannot have in the way of the Lord. Anything, whether it is something of our neighbor, his house, or his wife, or his ox, or his ass, as the commandment has it, or anything at all that is not proper in the way of the Lord, we should never covet we should never desire anything contrary to the Lord's will. That's very difficult, beloved. Even that is already very difficult. Especially if our way is somewhat dark. If the Lord leads us in a way of poverty and affliction, of suffering in a way of darkness and then to uh, will the way of the Lord not, not to covet anything else 
is not so easy, uh, but it is already difficult even in the normal sense. In other words, uh, this commandment, beloved, positively demands contentment. We must be content. In whatever way the Lord needs us, contentment. That is really uh, the first meaning of this Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt be content. That is the positive meaning of this commandment. Thou shalt be content. In the widest sense, however, it refers to anything that belongs to this world. In the negative sense, this commandment means thou shalt not covet anything earthy. That is, thou shalt not desire anything in this world apart from the Lord. Thou shalt not desire a home except in the Lord's good pleasure. Even that is not correct. Uh, thou shalt not desire anything, or home, or, or money, or, or, or whatever it is, except as a means to serve the Lord. That too. All things are means. Nothing else. The means to serve God, nothing else. We should never look upon anything else. And never should look upon anything earthy, whatever it may be, except as a means to please and serve the Lord. And that is the purpose of all things. Moreover, it means too, of course, uh, that uh, we uh, should desire the things above. We should covet the things above. We should never covet riches. We should never covet earthly things. We should, in distinction from them, and on the contrary, always covet and seek and long for the heavenly things. That's also in this commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Positively, that means, beloved, thou shalt seek the things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, that you may be with him. The hope, the hope eternal is implied in this commandment, in the spiritual sense of the word. But even that is not the widest sense. The Hanover Catechism doesn't even uh, explain that narrowest sense. The Hanover Catechism immediately plunges into uh, the widest spiritual sense of this commandment the widest sense possible, as is very plain from this for the fourth Lord's day. 
what does the Ten Commandments require of us that even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts. That's something. Uh, but uh, that at all times, notice, notice the universal expression, without exception, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. Notice. You know, as I said in my introduction, the outward deeds as such have no significance before the Lord. Not the outward deeds. They are the show they are the show window of our lives. Uh, what we put in the show window is of no significance to the Lord. The Lord is a spirit. And therefore, beloved, the law, and particularly this Tenth Commandment, requires nothing less, as the Catechism emphasizes in this first question of Lord's Day 44, requires nothing less then our entire being, our entire nature, our entire life, nothing less. Nothing less will do before the Lord. What is our being? What is our nature? What is our person? What is our heart? All of which the Lord requires to be consecrated to him in this tenth commandment. What is it? Notice. We have first, first of all a body. This body of mine belongs to my being, belongs to my nature. In that body, 
I have my senses. Sensation belongs to the body. I see. I hear. I feel. I taste. I smell. And the Lord, beloved, in this Tenth Commandment and in the whole law, requires that we see nothing but to his glory, that whatever we see is motivated by the love of God. And that whatever we hear is motivated by the principle of love and to the glory of God. And so it is with all our sins. Anything we see and that in this world in this world of corruption, in this world of sin, anything we hear, anything we taste, anything we touch, anything we smell, it must be to the glory of God and to his love. For that reason, beloved, the catechism says that because because we live in this world and because we live in the body of this death, the catechism says that negatively, it, the tenth commandment means that we condemn all sin. We condemn all that we see that is not to the glory of God and of his love. We condemn all that is uh, that we hear here in this world and that is not to the glory of God. We condemn it. You understand, beloved, that also, also means that the child of God cannot go everywhere. Understand that? He cannot be everywhere. He cannot be anywhere where he does, uh, where he does see and hear things which he must condemn and which he nevertheless cannot afford to hear or see. That's even true in our homes. That's even true in the radio. That's even true in the television. No question about it. But that is not all, beloved. 
That's not all. That's only the body with its senses. Behind the body is our spiritual soul. And that spiritual soul has uh, receives those sensations. That spiritual soul has all kinds of perceptions. That spiritual soul has, let me say this, that's also very, very important. Remember that. That spiritual soul has stored away all kinds of memories. They're there. Those memories are there, beloved. You, you, I know, you can recall a thousand and a million things that are right there. From the very time uh, that you became self-conscious as a little child to this present day, you have all kinds of memories there. You can recall them. They're yours. They're yours. You must, in regard to those memories, in regard to those imaginations, and in regard to those perceptions, condemn all sin. Belong to a person. You must condemn it all. Even if from your memory arises something that happened in the past, and many things happened in the past, that are yours, arise in your mind, and perhaps you still enjoy it, you must condemn it if it's sinful. You must condemn yourselves and all your memories and all your imagination. Still more. Behind all those things lies in your soul the thought, your thinking. Uh, what do you think? What do you think at present, beloved? What do you think now? What do you think? What do you think all day long? What do you think day by day? Your thoughts. Your thoughts over which very often you have no control whatsoever. Uh, they belong to you. They're yours. Don't you know? They're yours. Still more. Not only your thoughts, uh, but in connection with your, with your thoughts, 
that is your will. Your will. A connection with your will, there's your desire. Back of it all lies your person. I. I feel. I desire. I will. I think. I imagine. I remember. I see. I hear. I feel. I taste. I smell. And I am responsible in my whole nature before God for all I do. That's it. That's the category. All that belongs to I, beloved, must be conformable to the law of God. All my thinking, all my willing, all my desiring, all my feeling, all my sensations, all my seeing, all my hearing, in the midst of this corrupt and sinful world, must be in harmony with the will of God, must be proceeding from the love of God, must be to his glory. Otherwise, I am, I am condemned. That's the way it is. That's the truth. How about it? God is spiritual. God is righteous. God is holy. God demands that entire I, that entire ego, that entire being, that entire nature, as he has created it to his glory from his love. That's all. That's the law. That's, that's the tenth commandment according to this catechism, beloved. The first question. How about it? We're not perfect, are we? We're not perfect. On the contrary, you and I understand very well. You and I will certainly confess what the catechism declares here uh, that we have but a small beginning of the new obedience. All the rest is sin. Uh, that's a mystery too, beloved. The Christian is, is in a way, a very mysterious creature. Mysterious. 
You think you can understand Romans 7? As I read this morning? Isn't that mysterious, beloved? Listen. For that which I do, I allow not. Notice. I, I, I. The same I. That which my person, my ego does, my ego allows not. But what my ego, my person would that my person does not. But what I hate, what my ego hates, that my ego does. And then, nevertheless, the apostle says in verse 17, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Is that your experience, beloved? That your experience? Remember, the Christian is after all and not uh, two persons. Although he reveals himself sometime in his own consciousness as he were. The Christian, don't forget that, after all, has no two hearts. There's only one heart. And that one heart is reborn, is regenerated. That, first of all, there's one heart. We must insist on that, beloved. From a natural point of view is one person, one nature, one body, one soul. From a spiritual point of view, he has not two hearts, but one heart. In that one heart 
indwells the Spirit of Christ. That's the Christian. That one heart is holy, perfect, righteous, loving the law of God. But that's only his heart. That's only the small beginning. And that small beginning, beloved, is a small principle. A principle, not simply a beginning, as uh, the beginning of a spool of thread is the beginning. No, uh, that beginning is a principle, a principle of life in his heart. And a while in his heart in which dwells the Spirit of Christ, there is the principle of holiness and righteousness and love of God in his nature, in his soul, and in his body, there are, uh, let me say, the old habits of sin. Uh, the old ruts of sin are in his nature. There are ruts of sin in his body. Oh, yes. That body is already thousands of years old, you must remember. That body came from my father and mother and from generations preceding. And my soul is intimately related to my body. And so in that body and in that soul uh, there are deep ruts of sin. And in those deep ruts of sin, the wagon of my life slides very easily, beloved. And so, while I'm a new man, a new man in Christ, the old man with his ruts of sin often deceives me and leads me into ways of corruption and iniquity. That is the Christian. The new man in Christ is the principle, is the new heart. The old man is full of ruts of sin into which the new man easily slides. That's the way it is. Even the holiest of them, beloved. Don't forget that. Uh, sometimes it is explained that uh, we gradually we gradually increase in holiness. That's not true. We don't increase in the in the small beginning, not according to the catechism, not according to experience. 
It's not so that when I'm regenerated and when I'm called, I have a small beginning and then gradually, maybe through the preaching of the word and through instruction, I grow and that principle grows. No, sir. That remains a small beginning until the day of my death. Oh, it is true. Uh, that small beginning must more and more dominate. That's true. That small beginning must more and more rule. That small beginning must more and more have the victory. But nevertheless, it remains a small beginning of the new obedience until the day of my death for you and for me. That's the way it is. No wonder that the catechism finally asked the question, beloved, what's the use then? What is the use? Why must the law be preached at all if that is the case? If I'm not perfect as the perfectionist has it, the perfectionist, as you know, uh, claims uh, that he can uh, fulfill the law of God. He can. Even though he doesn't, always, according to his uh, nature and principle, he can uh, perfectly perform the law. The reformed Christian says uh, not uh, that he does not, uh, but that he cannot. He cannot. He's so constituted in his nature in this new man, in the midst of his old man, that he cannot, he cannot perfectly perform the law. He cannot. That's the reformed Christian. And that scripture, no question about it, beloved. If anyone says that he has no sin, he deceives himself and the truth is not in him. Uh, but if that is the case, if uh, we cannot uh, perfectly perform the law, if we can only have a small beginning of that perfection, why must that law still be preached? If, is it not better and not to proclaim the law as the antinomia has it? Antinomianism claims that there's no use anyway and therefore there's no use to preach the law. The law isn't for the Christian. Not at all. Well, of course, the law isn't for the Christian, beloved, as law, as commandments, simply. The law is for the Christian in the spiritual sense of the word. And in the spiritual sense of the law is preached to the Christian he will uh, certainly derive benefit. But that benefit is not that he gradually increases in perfection. No. The Catechism tells us that there is a fourfold benefit of the preaching of the law. First of all, by the preaching of the law, we increase in the knowledge of sin. That is, we gradually have a deeper 
sense of sin, beloved. That's one thing. We gradually have a deeper sense of sin. What formerly uh, was no sin to us, now through the preaching of the law, has certainly become sin. Secondly, because of an increasing knowledge of sin, we also flee more constantly to Christ. We must not be discouraged. We must never be discouraged. Faith is not discouraged, even though we see our sins, beloved. That is not the idea of faith, and that's not the idea of preaching of the law. No, the deepening sense of sin must have the result that we flee to Christ. We must have forgiveness. We must have daily forgiveness. We must daily cry out with the publican, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Every day. The more we hear the law, and the more we see the perfection of the law, as I proclaimed it unto you this morning, the more we seek the blood of Christ, only in the blood of Christ is the redemption. Only in the blood of Christ there is forgiveness. Only in the blood of Christ are we righteous. We are not righteous in ourselves. We are not righteous in our own nature. We are righteous only in Jesus Christ our Lord. Our state is righteous only in Christ before God. Remember that. That's our comfort. And in the third place, of God, stands to reason. If our knowledge of sin is deepened, and if we are sorry for, for our sin, spiritual knowledge of sin is sorrow over sin. If that knowledge of sin is deepened, and if we flee to Jesus Christ for forgiveness more and more, then it stands to reason that we pray and long for sanctification. We're not satisfied. We're not even satisfied with our present condition. That isn't it. But longing for sanctification, we pray to God for the Holy Spirit that he may dwell in us and that we may walk more and more walk in sanctification of life and heart. The fact that we confess our imperfection is no excuse for the Christian. He doesn't excuse himself. He longs to be delivered from the body of this death until he arrives in perfection. And therefore, the final fruit is hope. As the apostle has it, O wretched man that I am, 
who shall deliver me from the body of this death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We shall be delivered. We shall be perfectly delivered. We shall be perfectly delivered from all sin and all imperfection forevermore. And for that state, beloved, for that state we long, and for that state we pray, and for that state we hope, and hoping for that state, we love the preaching of the law, for it tells us that perfection is coming in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, O Lord, for the preaching of thy word. Sanctify it unto us. Cause us to know ourselves in our sin. Cause us to know ourselves in Jesus Christ our Lord. So that we may more and more live according to that small beginning of no life within us. Fight against sin and have the victory and hope for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Amen.